feeding is so slow. Your child eats so slowly that you often wonder, is there such a thing as slow eating disorder? You research the question, how long should a toddler take to eat? And discover that your child is taking way too long to eat. Your child eats more slowly than the 30 minutes that is considered to be a norm for finishing a meal. As you wonder whether your child is the world's slowest eater, you come up with two new questions. The first question is, how do I get my child to eat more quickly? The second question is, how do I get my child into the Guinness World Records for the slowest eater? I want to explore this topic more. What does it mean when your child eats so slowly that it's like watching paint dry or grass grow? How do we define slow eating and what does slow eating mean about the child and their future? Hi, I'm Dr. Evka. I'm a physician and mom to a young child who fed reluctantly. I remember feeling so scared and so alone. It was hard for me to find the answers and the solutions as to why my child has significant feeding difficulties. It was hard to improve the feeding. Fast forward past many doctor's visits, lots of reading, multiple certifications of various aspects of feeding, and many feeding therapy sessions later with me and the mom. You will see a mom and a child who has come a long way in the feeding department. Life feels so much less scary. I have so much powerful knowledge regarding early childhood feeding. Feeding has become easier and I have more of my life back. I created this Feeding Hot Handbook podcast as I want you to have actionable, simple, step-by-step strategies so that you'll have to feel as scared or as alone as I once did. If you have questions about nutrition and picky eating or food allergies, if you have a question um, about child with lots of symptoms but no good solutions regarding why feeding seems so much more difficult than you'd expect, if you have a diagnosis but do not know where to get good, actionable, step-by-step information, you're in the right place. Let's get learning. Just remember this this material is for educational purposes only. I'm not your doctor or feeding therapist. I'm not your doctor or feeding therapist. If your child has specific medical concerns, please see your doctor or other members of your healthcare team. Today's episode is sponsored by you. Yes, you. Please let me know what topics you would like me to discuss in the past. Uh, if you have reached out, I have actually done episodes just for you. The platform is just starting, and the platform is about helping parents whose children have challenges around feeding. I'm coming up with episode ideas, and if you have a topic that you'd like me to discuss, you can reach out to me in several ways. First, you can leave a message on my Instagram page under Dr. Evka or Feeding Handbook. Second, you can scroll to the bottom of the DrEvka.com website. In the further section, you will find an area called Work With Me. Click on it and you can contact me from that section. Third, you can post a comment on my YouTube channel. Recently, I was thinking about how long it can take to feed a child, especially one who's eating very slowly, where you are sitting with them at the table, just waiting and waiting for them to finish feeding. Although you have a lot of other things that you need to do, you're just like waiting there. For a person who can be impatient, this can feel frustrating, a true exercise in patience. It can take a lot of thought work to not only not yell at your child, but uh, 
also to, to remain patient. You don't want to try to force your child to eat more quickly. When you have a child who takes a long time to feed, you might start to wonder, what's wrong with my child? There seems to be feeding okay in every other way, except for the slowness. Why are they feeding so very slowly? Today, I want to talk to you about what the slow feeding might mean for your child, what might it predict about how they are, what might it say about their future. To answer that question, I actually looked at the medical literature, and I wanted to share it with you what I found. If you know that your child is a slow feeder, what are some of the things that you need to look out for? What actionable steps can you take today based upon the information that I give you? I will give you four, four surprising statistics about children who feed more slowly than usual. Okay, sorry. So you're getting noise in the background with every one of my episodes. Currently, it's late at night. My child went to sleep, and I am here with the dog. His dog is right next to me. We have this gorgeous dog, and she wanted to be part of this episode. So the noises that you're hearing, they're coming from a dog, a lovable dog. I don't know how many of you are dog lovers. I love dogs. Okay, so let's talk about four surprising statistics regarding children who feed slowly. First, slow feeders are more likely to have tooth decay and to develop dental cavities. If food is lingering in your child's mouth for a while without being swallowed, the food is touching your child's teeth. So the child is kind of like pocketing the food, it's not going anywhere, it's touching the teeth. According to several research studies that I read, children who keep their food in their mouths for longer are more likely to develop cavities. Thus, remember how I told you that I would give you some actionable steps in this episode? Well, I'm keeping to that. If you have a child who seems to eat slowly, see the dentist. Yep, see the dentist. See the dentist regularly. Brush their teeth well every day. Follow dental recommendations. Okay, second, children who eat slowly may be more likely to weigh less than their peers who are at the same height. In one study, mothers in Japan were questioned regarding the speed at which their young children ate food. When they were between 30 and 42 months old, so between about two and a half to three and a half years old, their weight was compared to their heights to see if their weight was in a healthy proportion to their height. Children who ate more slowly were more likely to have a lower weight for their height. They were more likely to have that lower weight. Thus, this may be a good thing or maybe a bad thing, depending upon how you look at it. As children get older, they're more likely to become overweight and eventually fall into the category of obesity. We have an epidemic of obesity here in this country. Um, Probably not so much in other parts of the world, but in this country, we have an epidemic of obesity. At the same time, if a child already has a lower weight and the doctors are worried that, you know, the weight is starting to get low compared to the height, then... Is the slow eating making a difference in what happens with the weight over time? On a visceral level, I get this. When I was trying to lose weight, I noticed that if I ate more slowly, I felt more full 
on less food. My calorie consumption actually went down for a meal if I spent a lot more time savoring the food, taking the slower bites, keeping the food in my mouth for a while before I swallowed it. So when I was being that slow eater, I actually ate less food. And this made sense from a research standpoint. A few years ago, in a research study, adults were asked to eat a 600-calorie meal. And then those adults were separated into two groups. One group was asked to eat the meal within about six minutes. And the other group, the slow-eating group, were asked to eat the meal in about 24 minutes. Two hours after they finished the meal, the slow eating group found the meal to actually have been less enjoyable. They were less interested in the food. The adults who ate more slowly reported feeling more full. At that two-hour mark after finishing the meal, both groups were then asked to eat a snack. The group that ate their meals more slowly ate about 25% less of their snacks. It seems that if you eat more slowly, you are more likely to not be obese or you're more likely to lose some weight. But are you also more likely to be underweight if you uh, eat really slowly? That's a good question to which I do not have a definite answer. And I look forward to more research in the topic. Yet, if you're the parent who thinks, Hmm, my child takes forever and a day to feed and hardly touches the food on their plate. You may be onto something. If your child is taking one bite every few minutes, they may be getting full pretty quickly. Thus, at the length of that prolonged meal, you may be left with a plate that looks half finished and you wonder about what the, the child ate enough. My actionable step for the second part would be for you to try that one day. Um, day one, eat your meals as slowly as your child would. Take those slow, slow bites and, and just sit at the table with them. And day two, just eat it the way you normally would and see the difference. How's your level of satiety? Are you feeling more hungry or less hungry? Depending upon how you, how you eat the meal, you could, partly replicate the same experience. Third, um, when we come to slow eating, there is a correlation between slow eating and aspects of a child's temperament. So remember the temperament is that aspect of a child's personality that's kind of genetic, they're kind of born with it. So what does slow eating potentially say about child's temperament? In one study, mothers rated the personality types of their children between the ages of 7 and 12 years. Children who were described as being anxious, tense, and withdrawn were more likely to be slow eaters. Children whose emotional frequently changed, whose emotions had these highs and lows, and when these emotions changed on a dime, those children uh, were found to also be more likely to be slow eaters. Many children who eat slowly are found to be high on this personality trait, this temperament trait of neurotism. Um, and children with this trait are also most likely to enjoy sweet and savory foods. 
So this begs the question, if your child is a slow eater and you have more than one child, do you also know this, that that slow eater is the anxious and withdrawn child in the family? Are they the ones that seem to enjoy sweet foods like chocolate, ice cream, fruits, cakes, and cookies? Are they the ones who love savory foods like veggie chips, nuts, hummus, popcorn, and potato chips? Feel free to comment on my YouTube channel for this episode. Would love to hear from you. So tell me about your child and if they are a slower feeder, do they fall into these categories? Um, you also want to think about it because as I'll refer to in future episodes, if your child is more prone to anxiety, there are certain things that you can do now as a parent to help them with that. Because being more prone to anxiety is a part of this neuroticism trait and a lot of that is inborn. It's part of their personality that they were born with genetically. You can never really change that. Um, but there are things that you can do to help the child who's anxious and I'll discuss that with future episodes. So um, you can comment uh, on this um, episode to let me know how quickly you want the other one to come out. But I'll, I'll get there. Okay, so back to talking about the statistics of slow eaters. Uh, this is the first one, number four. There is hope. And it's so nice to hear that, that there's hope. If you want your child to eat in the faster way, there's hope. I've read a research study that measured how slowly a child ate at the age of four and then compared them to how they ate at the age of 10. So they compared the same children uh, and their speed of eating at the age of four when they were preschoolers and again when they were middle school aged. The children who as preschoolers ate slowly, like they ate more slowly uh, compared to their peers, um, also tended to eat more slowly compared to their peers at the age of 10. So they were still like the slower ones in the group that hadn't changed. However, as children get older, they speed up their feeding. So those children who spent like an hour finishing their meal when they were four years old, didn't have to spend that hour when they were 10 years old. They were spending a lot less time. In other words, if you have a child that right now takes a long time to feed, the amount of time that it's going to take you to feed them most likely is going to speed up just because of time, because of time. Great. Many slow feeders will gain feeding speed as they grow up. Good, over time. But this can take months or years. It's good news. Yet, what do you do in the interim while you wait for your child's feeding to speed up months or years down the road? What happens if you send your child to daycare or to preschool and the school has only a 30-minute lunch break or a 20-minute snack time? The teachers tell you that your child spent too much time talking during mealtime or staring into space. Do they like the chatterboxes at the lunch table or the quiet observing kids at the lunch table, but they're not really eating? They hardly ever finish much of their meal. What happens if you try to have additional feeding time for your child because you know that that child of yours who's not feeding well is going to get hangry. They're going to get hungry and angry. I'm sure many of you have been there. You know what this feels like. But the school or the daycare says it's not their problem. 
Yeah, you really you want your child to go to school or to daycare. Like, what do you do? So I know of one family who started kindergarten with their child who had slow eating and it didn't go well. To the parents, it felt like the child stopped eating lunch like in, in its territory at all. The child would become hangry. At first, the parents didn't know what to do, but they knew that their child was hungry and couldn't really concentrate so much in the classroom because they were hangry. And then they started thinking, the parents started thinking about five or four plans and IEP plans with the school. Huh? Now you might be left asking yourself, what is a 504 plan? Or what is an IEP plan? Are these just numbers like 504 and letters like IEP? Or do they, it means something to school, the public school, and your child's education? So I want to give you some of the basics of IEP plans and 504 plans. There's a lot more to discuss, so this is really just the beginning. And I'm just hoping something we can discuss more in future episodes. First, think about a national law or a national act that says that children with special needs or certain medical diagnoses have certain rights. Not just the rights discussed by the Founding Fathers by the Declaration of Independence. No, not just rights. Not just the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Nope, they have more rights. If your child has a disability that could adversely affect their educational performance, then your child has a right to the free, appropriate public education, a special needs evaluation, and an education in the least restrictive environment possible. You child will likely get an evaluation by the school team. Based off that evaluation, the school might determine that your child is eligible for classroom accommodations and even some services like occupational therapy, physical therapy, and speech therapy, depending upon how it would help with the feeding. However, many children who feed slowly might not qualify. Many school systems might understand, like on a personal level, that your child may get hungry, angry, or hangry if they do not eat enough food, or they may have more difficulty concentrating. But they might not say that being hangry or being a little bit more on edge because of that feeling of hunger uh, has anything to do with school performance. They might say, oh, it doesn't really have to do with school performance. They might not give you an IEP or an individual education plan for your child. Then what? All hope is not gone. What happens if your child does not qualify for an individual educational plan or an IAPE plan? The new gardener who did not eat during school was not out of luck. Her parents were resourceful and they thought of 504 plans. They looked into these 504 plans. A child with a disability should have access to accommodations that improve academic functioning. In order to qualify for a 504 plan, a student must have a medical diagnosis that restricts one or more of life activities, like paying attention in class or being able to participate in class. The 504 plan covers students who don't meet the special education criteria, but who still need accommodations. The little girl starting kindergarten needed accommodations so that she would have opportunities or more time to eat her lunch or to eat her snack. The family asked that the child be able to finish her food in the classroom during a class, and the school gave her this accommodation under a 504 plan. Thus, while everyone was listening to the teacher, the child got more time to eat.
while other children in the class I might not be eating, she was still eating. If your child is starting public school or is in the public school, how do you know that they could potentially qualify for a 504 plan? What medical conditions qualify students for accommodations under a 504 plan? Great question. According to the U.S. Department of Education, there is no comprehensive list of medical diagnoses that qualify for a 504 plan. Does a child with food allergies qualify for a 504 plan? How about the child with slow stomach emptying or gastroparesis? How about uh, the one with difficulties in sensory processing? All of them might, and more, is determined on a case-by-case -case basis. What matters is that the child has a mental or a physical impairment that limits a major life activity in a substantial way, and eating is a major life activity. Thus, for those of you who are thinking about what will happen to your child with the slow feeding at school, rest assured that the school might be able to offer some kind of accommodations. I can't say we'll do it for everyone, but there's a good chance that you'll get something. If you would like me to discuss this more in another episode or bring an expert in the field of 504 plans and IEP plans onto the show, let me know. Comment on my YouTube episode or email me directly through my website. Ask me your questions. I'll answer them. Uh, as this goes into Facebook Live, because I'm going to try Facebook Live with this one, we'll see what happens. And you can just comment on the Facebook Live section. Okay, in this episode, I discussed some tidbits on what it means to be a slow feeder. I gave you a practical solution regarding one of the ways to tackle slow feeding as a child gets older. I even became a fortune teller for a short while and gave you some predictions regarding your child and the slow feeding. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Feeding Handbook Podcast, formerly known as the Feeding Made Easy Podcast. So glad you're listening. See you here again around the same time next week. And if you want to share your story about your child when it comes to feeding, let me know. Contact me via my Instagram page or email me via my website, dreabka.com. Um, comment on the Facebook Live. One more thing. If you're listening to this episode, please like it. If you're watching the YouTube channel, please like it as well. Even subscribe uh, or subscribe to Facebook. And if you're feeling especially generous, um, let me know what you think and how I can give you further episodes that will help you the most. Thank you. Mm -hmm.